Great job, Josh and Sarah. Now we're going to have a guys quartet. Uh, guys come on out, and uh, they're going to sing. And uh, again, these are a lot of new groups that haven't really done any singing together. And uh, again, you get to see them as they begin, and then it would be awesome to see as they progress down the road as well. Come on, guys. Oh, sorry. piano uh, solos first. First is Matthew James, and uh, it's awesome. Matthew's pretty much grown up in church his whole life here, and, uh, and he has progressed a lot in his uh, piano ability, and it's been awesome from the time that he started playing, seeing him play in offertories, and to where he's at today. Um, what place did you, did you get first place in your division? I think he got first place in his division with his piece, and uh, did a great job.
Pharaoh also <coughs> placed uh, first in her division, and uh, it's a pretty tough competition in her division where she's, she's been playing for a couple year, few years now, and uh, she won first place and also $1,000 scholarship to Crown College. It was one of the perks. Uh, that's the kind of competition it is, and, uh, and so uh, she won that as well. Who knows what the future holds for her, uh, but uh, she did win that. She did a great job. Girls can make their way out. Uh, we'll have this be our last musical piece of the night, and then we're going to some preaching. And uh, preaching, uh, we make all of the young men that go down preach, and uh, it's awesome again to see that talent blossom in them. And I just picked a couple of the ones uh, that I prayed about. They, there were some tremendous outlines this year, and tremendous they did a tremendous job. 
Uh, but I prayed about a couple of them, and, and I got a couple guys here that are going to preach for us tonight. Looking forward to what the Lord's lay on their hearts. And uh, we emphasize that it's not just preaching for the sake of a competition when they go down there. Uh, they're developing uh, developing a talent um, that they can use for the future. Uh, whether they preach as a pastor or not, uh, we're all called to teach. The younger or the older teach the younger and such. And, uh, and so we are uh, looking forward to that. We're going to have the quartet sing. And guys, why don't you make your uh, way up here right now even. And, um, and then as soon as they sing, uh, we're going to have Isaac Page. He'll come up first and preach for us. Oh, 
Isaac will be the first one uh, up preaching for us. This is the second year that Isaac's preached, and uh, he did a great job. And so looking forward to what the Lord has laid on his heart. We're going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask you not to clap for them or applause. You say amen. You can um, you know, be excited about what they're having to say. This is the word of God, and uh, we want to take it seriously. All right, these are the messages. This is the preaching for tonight. And so let's open our hearts, let's open our ears, and let's be prepared to receive what the Lord has for us. I'll have a word of prayer for these guys, and then they're going to come up and preach one right after the other. Father, Lord, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for what we've seen put on display tonight. Not people, but you. The talents that you've given. And uh, Lord, we are so thankful that you've sought fit to bless Community Baptist Temple with these young people. Lord, I'm excited about their future. I'm excited about what you could do through them if they will simply stay surrendered to your plan for their lives. Lord, we pray that you would bless these young men as they preach tonight. I pray that they would be filled with your spirit, that they would trust your power and your leadership and your guiding, and not perform anything in the flesh tonight. Lord, bless this preaching of your word tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Hello, my name is Isaac Page, and I have a message that I have entitled, Christ is Our Stable Road. Please turn with me to John 1-1. It says there in John 1-1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it says here that Christ and His Word are one. So, my first point is, we must be secure in Christ. So, we must be secure in Him, and we also must be secure in His Word. And how do we get secure in Him? Well, the first step is to be getting saved. And once we're saved, no man can remove you. Please turn to John 6, 37. says here in John 6:37 All that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out I think that's an amazing verse because it, that means that anybody with any background of any home doesn't matter where you are where you were born whatever past you may have that you can come to him and he will not cast you out And another amazing thing that I think that is in John 10:27 to 28 please turn there as well says there that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is Jesus talking. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It says here that no man can pluck them out of his hand. That means that the devil can't pluck you out of his hand. That means that the demons of hell cannot pluck you out of his hand. Once you're his, you are his. And please turn to Proverbs 14.12. It says here in Proverbs 14:12 that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So the Bible states that we are going to think some things, and if those things don't line up with Christ and His truths or like whatever He says, then it will lead to our own destruction. And so we need Christ in all that we do. Now the reason I stated we need Christ in all we do is because of my next point: we must be stable in His truths. We must be stable in his truths and not be double-minded. 
to be stable means to be firmly established, not to be overthrown. But one of the ways that Satan and sin and the devils of hell can overthrow us is by us being double-minded. Please turn to James 1.8. says here in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When we are double-minded, we are constantly at war with ourselves. Do I go or do I stay? I'm not supposed to go, but I mean, it won't hurt. Or in our cases, a double-minded man might say, do I want to sin? I mean, I want to sin. Yeah, I want to sin, but not allowed to. The Bible says no, but I mean, it's just one sin, right? I mean, can't hurt. It's not killing me. I mean, I think a bad thought, I'm not dead in the spot. I mean, it can't be that bad. I mean, I can go to this movie. There's only one bad word in it. I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, some of the movies are terrible. I mean, this one's one of the small things. But again, the Bible says not to. It's like a conversation that a double-minded man may have with himself. And so we cannot be double-minded. Now, I have a story to share from my past. When I was about three through seven, I used to live in Barbados. And now there used to be, like, blocks of houses. Like, there's 20 houses here, 20 houses there, 20 houses there, 20 houses there. I was in one of them somewhere. And there was a lot of kids in the area. I mean, we were very proud about our bikes, too. I mean, there was pavement everywhere, so we rode our bikes. I mean, the street wasn't busy, but again, I wasn't allowed to go in the street, so that's kind of sad. But we went on the sidewalk. I mean, that was fun. I had my training wheels. Some kids didn't, so whatever. I mean, I was very proud of my bike. We'd go down about four houses. We'd come back up four houses. We went down four houses. We'd come back up four houses. Kind of like a little pendulum thing. But then one of my friends said, hey, let's, let's go up two houses. I mean, that's like the corner of the street. Let's go up two houses. So we went up two more houses. What we didn't know is that that last house was a gravel driveway. We weren't used to gravel. We were on pavement. That was fun for us. Gravel, no. <laughs> we did not like gravel. We had no idea what gravel was. We did not think gravel existed. But if we ever go on the grass on our bikes, I mean, we just completely stopped. We had those dinky tires that didn't work. When we went on the grass, God cannot bless us in our lives. I mean, when you're falling in sin then we're not moving. We're stuck there, and God cannot bless us. And then when we go across the gravel, it, it, when I went across the gravel, it was uncomfortable. I mean, I was, like, shaking. I was, like, losing control in my mind. I mean, it wasn't that dramatic, but I was, like, I was scared. I'm, I wasn't used to this. Like, is my bike supposed to be shaking this much? And I just stopped there. My tires got stuck. And one of my friends tried to turn on the gravel. His tires locked up got stuck in the gravel, and he skid sideways across the gravel into a little bit more of the pavement. He skinned his knees, he skinned his face, he skinned his elbows. And if we're not stable in God's truths and stable in Christ, we will fall spiritually as my friend fell physically. So, in Christ is our sidewalk that we can ride on. Now, the Christian life may not always be a straight pavement, as I said. I mean, there will be gravel eventually sometimes. 
So we're going to have to get past those trials that God set up for us to test us. But we have to get through them. Please turn to James 4.8. says here in James 4, 8, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That leads me to my last and final point. Be steadfast in Christ. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. says in 1 Corinthians 15:58 that therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord to be steadfast means to endure to go through it all to stay and i have a quick illustration that i like to make i've asked two volunteers to come up front at RTCC, I'm not allowed to move from the pulpit, so I have two volunteers to do this for me instead. So before, so you two, please grab the cardboard tube. So just stand on normal ground, just grab the cardboard tube, have a game of tug of war, just pull. Who is winning? <laughs> I can't tell, can you? All right, when we are on firm and stable ground, and we're in Christ. God can bless us. He can help us in our lives. But if we are an unstable ground, go ahead and pull again, Jace. It's fun for a season, but he doesn't have control. He is fumbling. He's confused. I mean, he is like just stuck there. He can't do anything. And then as we can repent and we can go back to God. That's all I have. I can't force you to do anything, but I heavily encourage you to be secure in Christ, stable in His truths, and steadfast in Christ. Thank you. Hi, my name's Josh, and um, the title of my message today is What Would You Do? I'll be reading in Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 through 25. And I believe we all know the story of the three Hebrew children. And um, right before where we pick off in verse 14, what, what for those of you who don't know what happened is um, King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden image and said that when these music play, you would have to bow down and worship it. And if you didn't, then in the same hour you'd be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down when the music played, and they were told on, and now they're about to talk to the king right here, picking up in verse 14. And um, it says in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. 
and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it wants to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So the reason I have chosen the title, What Would You Do?, is because we're going to try and put ourselves in the shoes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and find out what would you do in this hard time. And so my first point is, to overcome hard times, it takes faith. And back in verse 17, it says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They had full confidence and faith in God that he could deliver them that day. They didn't say that he may deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They said that he will deliver us out of thine hand. And just that unbelievable faith in God. And I think of my mom. She's from Taiwan. She came to the States when she was 13, so the same age as me. And um, her stepdad took her to church, and she got saved. And um, she felt that God wanted her to go to Bible college. At the time, the stepdad was out of church. So she didn't really have any support, I guess. And, um, but she still went. She had faith in God that he would get her through that and that that's what he wanted her to do. So she went to Bible college. She graduated. And um, she met my she, um Well, sorry, getting ahead of myself. She uh, was getting kind of older, and she felt that maybe God didn't. <laughs> sorry, Mom. <laughs> and um, she felt that God maybe didn't want her to get married and she had faith in God that that was maybe what she wanted to do but God gave her my dad and um, here I am <laughs> what more could you ask for And um, but like how she didn't have any support the same was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there was nobody there for them when they were talking to the king. You're talking to a king who's threatening your lives here and just with no support. It was only God. They had faith in him, and, and they, they got through it. And, um, you know, there will be a lot of highs and lows, but you've got to keep going no matter what. It's hard. Just trust his plan. Have faith in him. And my second point is you must be okay with either result. In um, verse 18, it says, in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They were okay if God delivered them that day or didn't deliver them. They weren't going to back down and say, Well, if God doesn't deliver us, then I guess we'll be forced to serve you now. Or, or even when the image was built, 
they could have thrown up the white flag right then and there and been like, okay, now we have to now we have to bow down to this image whenever the music plays. But they didn't. And just just being okay with bad things and good things in life when you're going through a hard time. God trusts his plan. He doesn't always do it the way you think it should go. But he'll he'll do what he wants to do if you'll let him. You have to let him do what he wants to do and just be okay with good or bad. And um, my third point is you won't do the right thing for God under pressure if you're not already serving without pressure. Back in verse 17 again, says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. They were already serving him, as you'll see in that verse. And they, they probably had a really close walk with him, and, and they were ready for that pressure situation. And um, I think of you're walking down the sidewalk, and there's a dog in somebody's yard. You don't know the dog. You've never met him. And somebody comes and tries to rob you. The dog's probably not going to do anything. Why? It's never served you. It doesn't know you. You're not his master. Well, if you are walking down the sidewalk with a dog that you had for seven good years, he's loyal, he loves you, and that robber comes, the dog's going to be the first one to jump out and help him. And I think when God needs you to do something under pressure, if you're already serving him, you'll be the first person to step up to that occasion. And, you know... I, I'm a big sports guy, so I like to view it as you won't come up clutch without practice. You have to be serving God, so in that big moment, you'll be ready, and you can do it for him. And serve consistently. It's, it's, it's hard, but get up on Sunday mornings. Go to church. Go to Soul Wing on Saturdays. And just read your Bible, and I think my fourth point is, how are you serving him? Um, are you reading your Bible, praying, souling, and going to church? Um, just getting that good walk with God. And don't push him off. When he speaks to you, even if you've already done your devotions, if God speaks to you to go read more, go read. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, if God wants you to do something, he's going to show you something. And if it helps, just make a schedule. I know it helps me a lot to just have a specific time to do my devotions and things like that. And that's just my advice. And lastly, I'd like to close with the picture of salvation and how Jesus comes to earth and saves us from the burning, fiery hell. It's just a great picture. And um, if you're not already saved and not 100% sure that you're going to heaven, I encourage you to get that settled today and just accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it talks about how today is the day of salvation. And for those of you who are already saved, how are you serving him? Will you be ready for that hard time when it comes? That's all I got. Thank you. All right. If you have your Bibles tonight, will you turn to Revelation chapter number 3? Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 14. Tonight, I want to preach a message I've entitled, The Literary Likeness with the Laodicean church. In Revelations, uh, we see seven letters written to seven actual churches. Not only do we see seven letters, but we see seven time periods broken up in a prophecy of these time periods that have come to pass. And several of them have already come to pass. And because of some literary likenesses, um, 
people believe that we are in this Laodicean church era. That's what it's called. So in this passage, there's a letter to the Laodiceans, and this is describing our church age. And it says in Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 14, it says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things. Saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Tonight, I want to note a problem, and then I'm going to note the prescription for that problem. The problem is the state of the people. See, in the passage, we see that the people are lukewarm. What that means is to be in the middle between cold and hot, right? To be lukewarm is to be in the middle of cold and hot. See, they're not on fire for God. That's what the verse is saying. It says they're not on fire for God. They're not hot, but they're not cold. They're not completely away from God. They're in the middle. And see, the thing about being lukewarm is that's comfortable. See, I don't like to be too hot, and I definitely don't like to be too cold. I like to be comfortable. I like to be a a lukewarm. And in the Christian life, it can be easy to be lukewarm because that's comfortable. When we live in this middle zone, what we do is we render ourselves ineffective for God to use us. We become lukewarm when we get away from the heat source. And that heat source is God. So then the prescription. So then the prescription. It's simple. The solution to this state is get back to the heat source. It's to get back to God. Get back to the one who, who, who doesn't make us lukewarm anymore. Who gets us out of our comfort zone. In James chapter 4 and verse number 8, it says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Like I said, our, our, our human nature is to want to be comfortable. Our human nature is going to be to want to stand in the middle. Not stand out. Not stand out on either side. Not be a big figure in the world like we're doing sins and we're, we're big in the world, and, but not to be too big for God, because that's uncomfortable. It's Cody. Cody, you'll come up here. And then Isaac. I want to show you a picture of something. If Cody, you'll stand right there on that corner right there, up on stage. Right there. Then Isaac, you'll stand on the corner over here, a little bit farther back, a little bit farther back. Come closer. Come closer. Right there. And then Cody, you'll scoot back a little bit more. So watch this. Okay, I'm going to represent the Christian. And this is what's happened. So we live our Christian lives. In this verse, it says we're living our Christian lives lukewarm, which is to be in the middle. Cody's going to represent God. You're going to represent the world. In the middle of hot and cold. So this is where we live our lives. In the middle. All right? Here's the danger of that. So just get a little bit closer. 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 All right, right there. Here's the danger of that. As the world gets closer to wickedness, because they're going to, and we've seen it over the last couple of years, as the world gets closer to wickedness, this is our tendency. Because we're still going to maintain separation from the world, right? In Romans chapter number 12, it says, Be not conformed to the world. See, this is the danger. We're still maintaining separation from the world, but we're not close to God. So we feel like we're okay. We feel like we're doing just fine because we're separated from the world. See, we don't go where the world goes. We don't talk like the world talks. We don't wear what the world wears. But we're not close to God. Just because you're separated from the world doesn't mean you're close to God. 
You're separated from the world because you're a Christian. It's not the other way around. See, and this is the danger. As the world gets closer to wickedness, I want you to take a step towards that way. We move with it. Because we want to be, we're still separated, are we not? Would you take a step? We move with it. And we keep going. And we keep going. And we keep going. And soon enough, we'll end up exactly where the world was 20 years ago. And that's what happens in our culture. You guys can sit down. That's what's happened in our culture. The world has ended up exactly, or the church has ended up exactly where the world is. And, you know, we can blame it on the world. We can blame it on their philosophies. But that's not the case. That is not the case. The problem is not the philosophies being peddled by the world. The problem is God's people won't participate in a persistent relationship with the potter. See, that's the problem. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art the potter. And we are all the work of Thy hand. See, we have a potter. We have someone who wants to change us. We have someone who wants to make us into the image of His Son. And we're neglecting a relationship with Him. You know, the problems with the world aren't the world's problems. They're ours. The problems in this country. This country's not going to get right with God because of the White House. This country's not going to get right with God because of some politician. This country's going to get right with God when God's people get right with Him. See, their pro- the problems with this country are our problems. They're the church's problems. A lot of people want to say, man, if the world would just stop, if they would just stop, if all this gun control, if all this, all this violence would just stop, we'd be okay. No. No, it starts in the church. You want to know why the world's got gender mixed up? You want to know why the world's got gender mixed up? Because the church has gender mixed up. Because the church... The problems in the world are a result of the minute problems in the church. You know, the, there's an old saying that what you do in moderation, your children are doing excess. But what the church does in moderation, the world's going to do in excess. See, as the world got closer to wickedness, the church went with it. Because we're okay with maintaining separation from the world, but we're not okay with being close to God. You wanna, because we're lukewarm. Because we're comfortable. We're okay with sitting in our pew. We're okay with just being average. And that's the problem with the Christian life is we're okay just to be average. Nobody wants to be an average football player. Nobody wants to be an average basketball player. But we're okay with being average Christians. But we're okay with being average bus captains, Sunday school leaders, even preachers. We're okay with being average. That's not okay. It's not okay to be average. And the prescription's simple. And the prescription is, get back to the potter. Get back to the one who can change you. Get back to the one who wants to change you. See, you know, a lot. the danger is, again, is to feel like you're so far away from God. That you can never get back. That He's so far away. And in James chapter number 4 and verse number 8, it taught us a very important lesson. It said, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. See, this is what happens. As you take a step towards God, He's going to take a step towards you. He's not going to meet you in your sin, though. By no means is He going to meet you in your sin. But He's going to draw closer to you. 
He's going to draw close to you. And that gap that I had between Cody, who was representing God, is going to get closed back. Because he's going to draw nigh to us as we draw nigh to him. The prescription's simple. Now all we have to do is apply it. And that's easier said than done. It really is. You know, we as Christians need to get back to the heat source. This verse is not a damnation towards us. It's not what we have to be. It's a prophecy, but it's not what we have to be. It's just saying that some churches will be like this. See, in every era, all the churches are represented. We see that because there's persecution. And if you read all these seven letters, some of the churches were going through persecution. And there's churches going through persecution. And there's some churches who are on fire for God. But then again, there's some Christians who are like this Laodicean church. But we don't have to be. It doesn't have to be us. We don't have to let this verse define us. We can get back to the heat source. What temperature we live our Christian lives is not up to anything else but us. How, comfort, how close we get to God is up to us. God's standing there and He's going to call out to you. He wants a relationship with you, but He's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to get in a relationship with Him because that, would be, that wouldn't mean anything. That wouldn't mean anything to you. He wants you to choose. He wants you to choose to live on fire for God. He doesn't want you to just be comfortable with where you're at. Like I said again, what temperature we live our Christian life is up to us. Life's not about being comfortable. The Christian life is not about being comfortable. The Christian life is about being on fire for God. And being with God. And being near God. You know, when you get close to that heat source, it's going to get a little uncomfortable at first. When he starts drawing out imperfections, the thing about that verse, I said he was our potter. The thing about pottery is, in order to form clay, it's got to get hot. It's got to get hot, and then it becomes formable. You know, there's some Christians who are sitting in the middle, lukewarm, drying out. There's some Christians sitting in the middle who are getting hard. That's why we get hard hearts, because we've gotten away from the heat source. Our hearts have gotten hard. We need to get back towards the heat source so we can start forming us. In making us into the image of His Son. But sometimes that's going to be a little painful. He's going to pull out some imperfections. Again, what temperature you live your Christian life is up to you. It's not about being comfortable. It's about being close to God. What temperature will you choose to live your Christian life at? These guys have uh, all brought some biblical truths to us tonight and uh, you know you look at a young man and uh, you've heard me say this many times before it can be easy to disregard what's said uh, one thing I appreciate about these messages was the amount of scripture that was used and you can't argue with the word of God when it comes to uh, the word of God being presented and uh, you know you may look at what they said tonight and say well that wasn't completely factually right or uh, you know, that there was there's something here that I don't like or I don't like that they were young I don't like you know there's, there's all kinds of things that we can say when we observe a young man. Um, but you can't argue with these truths. Uh, you can't. And you think about the stability of the Christian life. How unstable Christianity is. And it is directly because of the path that you walk. You, you, the, that illustration of riding a bicycle, how simple it is. Yes, you're going to face those times of gravel. You're going to face those times of maybe being on the grass. And yeah, there'll be smooth sailing at points as well. But you've got to depend on God's truths. You've got to be faithful to God's Word. And uh, there will be the things that carry you through those gravelly times of your lives. And 
And you think about the trials. Man, you, you, that little point that was brought there, if you won't serve God when it's easier, and you're certainly not going to serve God when it's the difficult times. If you won't serve Him when it's smooth sailing, uh, you're not going to serve Him when the furnace gets turned up seven times. The heat. All right? Uh, you see Nebuchadnezzar there, he didn't just instruct any of his guards to throw them in there. He instructed his strongest guards to throw them into the furnace. And that seems to be how it is sometimes. When it rains, it pours. You know, it, it seems like we're going through things that just can't handle. It's the, it's the most difficult thing. Well, be faithful. Be faithful now. Outside of that situation, you'll see yourselves come through if you're depending on God when you're in that situation. The temperature of your life. The temperature of your Christian life. Lukewarm. Comfortable. Comfortable. That is a dangerous thing, isn't it? As you evaluate yourself, comfort. For me, uh, maybe not for you, for me, though. Uh, it's easy to be comfortable. It's nice to be comfortable. We have our temperature we set the house to. Now, we might be a little uncomfortable to save some money at some points. But uh, generally, we want to be comfortable in our homes. All right? And, uh, and we set it to where we want to live. And just like you set your home, you set your, the temperature of your Christian life. It's your choice, and that's a, a wonderful point, that you can be as hot as you want to be for the Lord. You can be on fire as much as you want to be for the Lord. And so, where is that thermostat set in your Christian life? Uh, these truths uh, that we heard tonight are, are all good truths. Things that um, we could all draw application from. Um, we're a little longer than, than normal on a, on a Sunday night. What you saw tonight was... Uh, a tremendous display of God's talent that He's bestowed upon young people. All right, and uh, and there's certainly truths that we can we can learn from uh, their preaching and from the from their willingness to serve, their willingness to stand before a crowd. It's not easy, especially for a young person to do. The nerves get all jittery, and uh, and to do that is an amazing thing. Uh, I, I wanted to just draw out a, a thought as I was thinking about their talents, though, and what the Lord has blessed us with as a church. In Exodus chapter 30 and previous to that, uh, the Lord instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, right? And, uh, and, he, and, he, and he comes to Moses and says, I, I command you, I command you, I command you. If you read chapter 29, you'll see uh, the Lord coming to Moses, and God said unto Moses. And he gives him instruction after instruction after instruction. In Exodus chapter 31, in verse 1, they came to a point where God needed some specific things to be done for this tabernacle. And in that verse, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, in works in gold and silver and in brass, and in cutting of stones to set them, and in the carving of timber, uh, to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him uh, Aholiab, the son of Ahismach, and of the, tri- of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. In this passage of Scripture, we see where there's something uh, presented here. First of all, we see the great vision where God said, Hey, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle where the Holy Spirit can dwell. Old Testament. And so a great vision is presented to God's people. But then there's a, there, there's a great need. 
There's a great need for builders. There's a great need for people with a, a particular skill, a particular talent. And God comes to Moses and says unto Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel. I have called by name these specific people, and I have put in them talent. I have put in them what is needed to accomplish this task. I have placed in them wisdom for the workmanship that needs to be done. It's an amazing thing as we see this great need for builders. And we see this great provision of talent. Where God comes and and he directed Moses with this great vision and here's what needs to be accomplished. And then God provides exactly what is needed from the tribe of Judah. From that specific location. From inside of the people of the children of Israel, he provided for the need that was set before them with specific talents. And we see, if you were to read through, and I won't take the time to look at it tonight, but I do want to read a verse in Exodus chapter 36, a couple chapters further. It says, Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord hath put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. We've seen the great vision build the tabernacle. We've seen the need for great builders, specifically talented individuals. We've seen the great provision. God said, see, I have put. We see there is great stewardship of God's gifts. These people that were endued with these specific talents, they wrought the work of all that God had commanded them. They got it done. There was a vision laid out. There was provision by God. He provided through his people, people that were already a part of the tribe, people that were already there. He said, I've filled them with what they need. And in the end, there will be a great accomplishment of the vision that had initially been put out. The tabernacle completed. And as I think about these young people and their potential for the future, and as I think about the church, Community Baptist Temple, I can't help but think that God has already called out from among this congregation from among His people, placed in our hearts, in our lives, the talent, the ability, the workmanship that would be required to fulfill the vision of this ministry. What God envisions for this ministry. He's already met the need. He's already met the need. And yes, we see hope for the future, praise the Lord. How about the present? How about right now? See, God has given us all talents and abilities. We can look at and applaud young people, but far too often we are content in attending and not participating. But God has already met the need. Anywhere we need to go in the future, anything that needs to be accomplished, He provides. He provides over and over again. We won't take the time to look through Scripture, but He never calls somebody where He won't provide for them. He never directs where He won't provide. Every single time. It's just simply a matter of stewarding what God has given you already. And that goes into every area of your life. Your time, your treasure, your talent. How are you stewarding those things? 
even just the, implement, uh, the implementation of, of teaching. What about that part of your life? What kind of example is being set for the young people? What do they have to follow? And tonight, praise the Lord, the future is and continues to be, and I believe always will be, as bright as the promises of God. And we have got a bright future. We see the Lord working and accomplishing great things in our church and, and through our ministry. But, but, how much more? How much more could we accomplish? The world has yet to see what God could do with one man totally dedicated to his calling. What, what could be done? What could be done? And so I challenge you, us, I challenge us. What are you doing with God has given you? How are you stewarding the talent that God has given you? Tremendous messages tonight. And um, I, I believe the Lord met with us. And I'm excited about that. And as always, it's an opportunity for us to respond. Preaching is to bring us to a point of decision, is it not? And God ordains the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. And, uh, and so if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight in some way, shape, or form, be sensitive to His calling and His moving in your heart and in your life. Are you stable in His truths? Where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? Temperature turned down, temperature turned to comfortable. You cold, you warm, where are you at? kind of all ties together, all these things do, with will, really how willing you are to be used by God. How much, how desperately, is that a word we can even use when it comes to our service towards the Lord? How desperately we desire to be used by God. Let's go ahead and stand, if you would, this evening. I'm going to ask Miss Jen to head to the piano and